0: From Los Angeles. This is the Echelon Radio Network. So, this is Jerry Hemsworth with the Echelon Radio podcast, and I'm sitting today with James Bean of SVN. How are you?
1: I am well. Thanks for having me, Jerry. Oh,
0: I'm so glad you're here. Tell me, what is SVN and what does that stand for?
1: Thank you for asking that question. I really appreciate that. So SVN, it's the new version of the old Sperry Van S. Oh. Sperry Van S was a commercial brokerage that had started in the late 80s mm-hmm. by a couple of guys by the name of uh, Rand Sperry and Mark Van S. And they were a couple of Marcus Milichap guys Mm -hmm. that came up with a better mousetrap than Marcus Milichaps and decided to go off on their own. And unfortunately, parted ways, Mm -hmm. early 2000s. And when they parted ways, Mark bought out Rand. Rand had to go quiet for five years. Mm -hmm. And over that time, Mark built what is now known as the Shared Value Network, Mm -hmm. SVN. Mm -hmm. We are the only commercial brokerage, international commercial brokerage, that is completely transparent even to the public. We have a Mm -hmm. weekly call on Mondays where anybody, our competitors, the public, anybody can call in and listen to all the new inventory that we bring out each and every week and it's a national call we're in nine other countries we have 200 plus offices all independently owned and operated but all operate on the same corporate platform a network of sharing value the Mm. shared value network
0: got it and there you have a specialty in in commercial real estate i do tell us about that
1: So I purely focused on investment sales. Hmm. I don't do leasing. I don't really do user sales. I'm focused on people that own properties for investment are my clients. And I'm also a national 1031 expert. There's not many, a lot of brokers can do a 1031 exchange. They know Hmm. how to do it. But the issue is, is... In order to perform a successful 1031 exchange, it takes a lot of planning. Hmm. And the planning for the exchange should really begin before the property owner even puts the property that they're going to relinquish on the market.
0: Wow, so we're talking a span of year years or where should that time frame in in a perfect world, the time frame would be what, for example?
1: You could probably do it 90 days.
0: Oh, okay. Yeah. All right. But it's a plan. Depending on
1: how much property they have to relinquish Mm -hmm. would depend on how long you need to, you know, if they Mm -hmm. have a prop, uh, excuse me, a portfolio full of property Mm -hmm. then six months to a year, Mm -hmm. obviously with any kind of planning, the more time you have, the better Mm -hmm. the plan is. But that exchange should really be mapped out so that they know what their options are are they going to achieve our investment goals etc
0: what's the what would you say is the biggest mistake you see people making before they enter into this or do they come to the table too late or what is the uh, a big flaw that or a misconception even that people have about it
1: well when you sell your property you have 45 days after from the day of close hmm. to identify the properties that you want to Exchange into. Mm-hmm. And most mm-hmm. people identify, you can identify three properties. There's two other identification rules. We don't need to get into that. But the most common is that they think that 45 days is plenty of time.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: And it's not.
0: Mm.
1: You need to, in fact, many of my clients are closing their properties within mm-hmm. those 45 days, especially in the world we live in today. Yeah. The, that, the market for exchange options Mm -hmm. is extremely volatile and has a tremendous amount of velocity. So it's kind of like getting on the 101 freeway. (laughs) You know, if you don't get on there at 80 miles an hour, you're going to get run over. Yeah. So. So
0: a lot of people are just not aware of how much time or, and, and, um, uh, traffic or capacity is going through, and and stuff is getting done during that time.
1: Yes, this is why more than sixty percent of exchanges fail every year. Really? Yes,
0: sixty percent. Ooh, that's tough. That's really tough. So, what do you bring to your clients? What is the um, what do you hear most often with? Uh, when they come back and go, gosh, James, that was, thank you so much. You, what, what do you, what, how do they compliment you the most?
1: How smooth it went. Mm. Mm. I've been doing this long enough to where I have now built my own national network of brokers that Mm -hmm. I can reach out to. I have access, easy access to more inventory than your typical broker does because I've developed close personal relationships with brokers all over the country. There's mm-hmm. 15 to 20 brokerages that are the major players mm-hmm. and they're spread out all over the country. And I can literally pick up the phone and many of them, I have their cell phone numbers, the owners of wow. these brokerages, wow. not just the agents of the brokers, wow. and so having that access i i've basically have built the well-oiled machine
0: that's fantastic
1: so there's no guessing yeah yeah
0: so are you seeing any trends as to where or and and forgive me because i'm not that up on 1031 exchanges and and especially for investment properties um is are there trends where people like to exchange in different areas of the country, um, or do you see people oh like everybody's going towards Tennessee right now, or towards Florida, or or is it pretty much anywhere and everywhere? Is it the wild wild west?
1: It's actually a great question. Many times, the people that I represent are typically exchanging for the first time. Mm. so and many of them aren't even familiar with the property types that i offer to them Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. and i actually speak about the myths of the 1031 exchange and one of the common myths is that people automatically assume that a commercial investment property comes with a lot of maintenance and management sure typically it does Mm -hmm. but there's other options that are absolute that are actually zero responsibility and zero management mailbox money is what we refer to it as Mm because that's literally what it is Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. as far as areas the common thing is out of california yeah because i can in most Mm -hmm. cases double the yield the annual Ah. yield of what you could receive on your property if you're willing to go outside of california
0: gotcha
1: and it's getting to be more and more willing to go east of the Mississippi, mm. you know, because mm-hmm. states like Nevada and Arizona, New Mexico, Colorado, Idaho, these, these states are gaining a lot of popularity as well because mm-hmm. of their proximity to California. Sure. So many times the client will ask me, well, what states are better? And there are some from tax purposes, although a lot of it doesn't really matter unless you live in that state. The first question I ask people is, where do you like to travel? Mm-hmm. And so I have mm-hmm. sold many properties in the Carolinas because it's a great destination. Yeah. I've had a lot of my clients are golfers and they mm-hmm. love golf trips. And, and so, hey, beautiful. you go take yeah. a golf trip to the Carolinas and ride it off because you went to visit your property.
0: Yeah, yeah, that makes sense. And it's gorgeous. And plus, you're you're on a coast if you like the beach, the Outer Banks. We've, we've vacationed there. But uh, it, we've heard of more and more people. Looking at going to the Carolinas, mm-hmm.
1: yeah. Tennessee is a popular state yeah. too. By the way, that's
0: what I'm. I mean, it keeps coming up in conversations, Tennessee and and, uh, but I think people are with, especially with COVID and being able to work remotely. I think in um, I'm hearing a lot more conversations of people moving and being able to work remotely. So I'm hearing a lot of of um, just openness to people. Be, to people and businesses being outside of California. So that's kind of cool. Mhm. So I'm going to change I'm going to switch gears on you here because um you like to perform. I learned that about you. Karaoke? Yes. Karaoke. Where do you hit a karaoke place here in locally?
1: Actually, Ventura's got a couple of places. Uh my favorite right now is a place called Gigi's Lounge. <laughs> It was before the pandemic your just absolute textbook dive bar. Really? Which is always the best karaoke yeah. spot.
0: Yeah.
1: However, during over pandemic they completely gutted the place and remodeled it. Oh. And it doesn't have the same it's not vibe. Not divey
0: enough. You like the divey joints. Sure. <laughs>
1: You want, you want divy lighting. You don't want to be on stage with really good lighting. Yeah, you want
0: modern and right. what the heck? What is that about?
1: But the guy that did it there before, actually, it's this older gentleman that had designed this software mm-hmm. and made it like the best karaoke experience possible because you, everything was on a computer and you mm-hmm. logged into the computer and you put all the songs you wanted to do. Plus it kept him on track because everybody was just automatically in order. Mm. Plus, he would bring a handful of props for you to use Mm. guitars and other things. And they had a nice stage there. They do still have a nice stage. Stage is important. Yes. I don't need a mic. I just need a stage.
0: (laughs) But you also, we were just talking uh, about stand-up comedy. Yes. And you said as a kid, you wanted to be a comic or a stand-up comic, or what was that like for you as a kid? What was your dream?
1: Well, back then, you know, in the 70s, it was really about just, you know, being funny to an audience. Mm. I don't think they really call it stand-up comedy back then, although, you know, just being a comedian, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I growing up, I loved Bob Hope and... Yeah. You know, Jerry Lewis and, you know, um, mm-hmm. Richard Pryor. Mm-hmm. Um,
0: George Carlin. Eh,
1: George Carlin, yeah. yeah. In fact, I have a new opening that I just used on some open mic night stuff where I said, you know, I've always wanted to be George Carlin. And now here I am, the oldest guy in the room, and I'm on stage. <laughs>
0: <laughs> Ta-da!
1: <laughs> so uh, I can remember, our earliest memory as a kid was a Christmas, well, first and foremost is i had a pair of uncles my mom's brothers mm-hmm. that uh these guys not only were they great joke tellers but they had these just infectious laughs and so mm-hmm. us kids the, the the grandkids would whenever we were together for like thanksgiving or christmas mm-hmm. is we'd all get together and it's like hey we need to tell uncle Marv or uncle tony some jokes so we can hear these guys laugh and so it kind of, that's kind of how it started. And then I remember one specific Christmas where my younger brother had gotten one of those um, built-in mic Panasonic tape recorders, yes. the really cool ones. Maybe yes. they came in all the colored plastics. Yeah. And we were all upstairs. The kids were all upstairs and it just, we had a tape in and we just started, you know, I don't know. I would love to recreate that because it was like we were doing our own little comedy skits on and recording it and just having a blast, you know, and recording toilet flushing and, you know, <laughs> stupid stuff. But we took but it downstairs fun. and played it for the adults and they were all crying. I mean, just <laughs> howling. It was just a really great experience. And so I think that that fueled some of it through... By the time I was in my early 20s, I got turned on to being a um, mobile disc jockey. Uh I did over 150 wedding receptions in about a three-year period. Holy smokes. Yeah. I was crashing weddings long before the movie. (laughs) Um, But it was because some of the people that I was studying under and watching around comedy is like, you know, it's all about my time. You know, Uh you got to get on stage, get stage time and, and figure out your shtick I guess yeah. so it's evolved from there
0: and you said you mentioned that you actually took a class in the early 2000s about being a stand-up comic or uh, a comedian and that was in Phoenix it was yeah and how long was that class
1: it was a nine-week course Nine week. yeah community college course
0: and what was the final
1: uh we had to literally do a five-minute act in front of a live crowd at an actual comedy club
0: and you were pumped to do that i was but whereas other people were terrified and said i'm out yes (laughs) how often do you get to perform now
1: well i've just recently learned that there's a couple of places in ventura that have open mic nights so Mm -hmm. i could literally do it two nights a week every week if i Mm -hmm. wanted Mm -hmm. um Right now I've been, I mean, I've got years worth of comedy riffs written just pages and pages and pages of things. And so right now I'm looking to create another five minute act, mm-hmm. both of the places, the mic, the open mic opportunities are five minutes. Mm-hmm. And so right now I'm in the, I'm in the process of doing that with the hopes of ultimately getting on to the, uh, Ventura Harbor comedy club.
0: Oh, interesting. Is yeah. That and I'm not looking to do? to do
1: it for a living. I just want to, you know, I'm totally fine with being a five minute guy. Yeah. That five minutes I did for my final, mm-hmm. I had more than 40 hours into it Wow. from wow. the writing and crafting. And, you know, I, I brought right. eight plus years of professional speaking. So, you know, it was, I was got to be where I was very technical and mm-hmm. it, Uh, When I think about all the time I took to rehearse that, in fact, I took two days off of work before the final, Mm -hmm. and that's all I did Mm -hmm. for 16 hours was run that thing over and over and over and over and over again.
0: Do you write every day?
1: Almost. Really?
0: Do you have like a journal or a notebook where it's all there? I wish.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Do you remember, there's a great Seinfeld. Do you ever watch Seinfeld? Sure. Of course. So, there was an episode where Jerry was the same thing. You know, whenever mm-hmm. you get an idea, you'd write it down. Yeah. And yeah. so, this episode was he woke up in the middle of the night <laughs> having a dream and it woke him up. That he's like, oh, that's a great comedy bit. But he was a half asleep and he scribbled something on the pad. And the next morning, he couldn't. It's yeah. like, what the <laughs> hell does that say? So that's I totally identify with that because that's what I do. Is I have notepads all over my house. Uh-huh. Even on my phone. If you look at my phone right now, the note thing on the iPhone is <laughs> I've got comedy riffs on there. Or I'll turn on my microphone. I'm driving down microphone? the road. was going to say Yeah,
0: recording it.
1: Driving me down the road. And I'm like, oh, I need to... Siri, launch microphone. <laughs> you know, And then I get off on a tangent. <laughs> and she Come says, on, Siri.
0: And she says, not again.
1: <laughs> no, it's Come when on, James. she repeats something else. That's not what I said.
0: <laughs> I said microphone.
1: <laughs> That's part of my... Uh, routine that I'm working on right now is that, you know, I'm old enough to remember black and white TV, Mm -hmm. but I'm young enough to Mm -hmm. appreciate the technology. Sure. Except when Siri doesn't hear what I say. Yeah.
0: And then Siri's, yeah, I understand 100%. Thanks for being with me here, James. It was really, really fun. And I really, I want to come see you. I want to let us know when you're, when you're doing your stand-up. I want to come laugh.
1: Yeah, the Ventura Harbor has a thing where you they'll give you five minutes if you bring 10 guests. Really? Yeah. Shocking Just... why they would allow you to do that. But <laughs> so but 10, I have no doubt. Not five.
0: That I could... you, you need two people. You need one person for every 30 seconds. So that's wow, that's some currency. Thanks for being here.
1: Thank you very much, appreciate it. You got it. Presented by Echelon Business Development. More than just networking, way more.